Welcome to another edition of OD Wire Radio. I'm Adam Farkas, and with me as always is Paul Farkas. And today we're going to continue our series on how to exit commercial practice. First up, we're going to speak with Dr. X. This is a, an OD Wire doctor who wished to have his name withheld. Uh, he's going to discuss leaving commercial practice to enter private practice. After Dr. X, we're going to have an interview with the infamous Dr. Stephen Nelson, who's going to tell you all about how he went from commercial practice to working in nursing homes. So let's kick it off with Dr. X. Dr. X, thanks for joining us today. Um, and you know, hopefully we can get some insight from you uh, as to your experiences in commercial and how it contrasts to, to private practice and sort of what you did to make the switch. So I guess the, the first question everyone wants to know is, uh, what's your work situation like now? Uh, well, I, I have both a corporate and a private practice that I divide my time in 50-50. And in my corporate, which I've had for almost a decade, I am established. I have a rotation base. And in my private office, I, I don't see that many patients, maybe a few weeks. Right. And the, when did you start with the, the private office? When did that open? Uh the private office, well, I started uh, a little less than a year ago. Less than a year ago. So yeah, you, but I have a question. Uh, how long have you been with corporate? How many, how many years are you in practice? Uh, I've been in practice for 15 years. Okay, and so I, basically... I, I've been in corporate since I left optometry school. Right, so you actually took about 14 years before you decided to take the plunge and uh, give private practice a shot. Um, well, I, I, it's something that... I guess within the last two, three years ago, started to become an itch that had to be scratched. And my friends who I made in corporate, uh, who were a little further along, at some point they started to tire of the corporate aspect. And when they switched, all of a sudden everybody said, you know, Dr. X, you gotta, you really gotta do this. It's uh, you know, it's much more gratifying. There's much more money to make. And, um, you know, at some point I decided that I, I didn't necessarily plan on switching, but I had the opportunity where I found a good location. Um, I had the financial resources, and I just went forward with it. Right. Do you, do you have you found that it's been the case that it actually has been financially rewarding so far, or are you still sort of in that the building mode? I'm still I'm in the private. I'm losing money. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm losing less money as time goes on because people don't um, know that I exist. But you know, I, I know that uh, I'm going in a positive direction. Right. So I guess that's one one lesson for for new grads who might be listening to this is that the one advantage of corporate is that at least you have this marketing arm that's already set and sort of a ready-made place to get patients. Whereas if you strike out on your own, you really need a good plan uh, to try to actually drum up business. Uh, are, are you, you know, it, it's true. They, they, being on all the vision plans and having uh, millions, hundreds of millions of dollars for marketing, it's a competitive advantage. Sure. So, so are you uh, an employee of, of where you are associated corporate, or are you an independent contractor? Mm. So, so you uh, lease? I'm, yes. I've been an independent contractor before. Um, I, I've been in, I don't know if you could say I'm an employee of a prior doctor who was leased, but this particular situation, I've been the primary leaseholder for uh, close to a decade. So, so basically, uh, do, you, do you hire and, and fire your own staff? No, you know, I'm, I'm still a practitioner, so I, I work with the staff there, and um, they take, make my appointments, they get authorizations, they'll pre-test for me, 
Uh, they collect the money from the patients for the services. Right. And, and you're able to keep uh, your your private practice a secret from everyone? Uh, no, at, you know what? I didn't. I, I, I kept it secret for a while, and then finally, I, I'm not the type of person that does things, um, you know, under the table. I, I, I was very upfront with the manager and the district manager, and I made it clear I want to continue to uh, be a part of the business. This is, you know, I just feel like I have the time available. And uh, so, you know, it, it, it didn't seem to be an issue. I mean, at some point, they would have found out either way. And sure. so, no... so who owns the records then? The company? You own the records? Uh, yes. And so, therefore, you can tell patients that you're in private practice or you don't do that ethically? You know what? I, I, I try to make sure that the business stays inside the optical. I, 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 I don't... Um, I don't want them to get the idea I'm trying to steal their patients. And the, my private practice and the corporate practice are over 20 miles apart, and one of them is more of a value-based and the other one is high-end. And right. I, I feel that the people in corporate would probably not step foot my private and people in private wouldn't step foot and run in my corporate. Right. And, you know, you mentioned that it's 20 miles apart. Was that by choice or was there something in your contract that said you actually had to open up outside of a certain distance? I do have a restrictive covenant. It's not unreasonable distance. Um, but my home is over 20 miles from my private, uh, my corporate office. Mm. That makes it easier. So I guess my private office is close to my house. Right. So I guess this this sort of leads us to the big question. You know, you've been in private practice for just about a year, but obviously you were planning it well before you actually decided to take the leap. So mm-hmm. for, for anyone who's in commercial practice right now or for the new grads, what did you do to start planning that transition? Um, I have a lot of friends who are in private, and when I made the decision, I started going to offices. I initially had talked to a practice consultant, which I um, elected not to do because I, 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 you know, part of it was the cost, but I feel like I have enough experience where um, the information that I needed, I had. Um, but, you know, the other thing that I did was, um, you know, talking to uh, Wells Fargo or Masco at the time, and I found out what I had to do to get financing. Uh, what was involved, and it wasn't that bad, um, but for me, because I had an established corporate practice and income, it it wasn't too difficult for me to get the money to start up a practice on my own without a partner. Right. That's a really interesting point. When you actually went to the, the, the uh, companies that finance you, was that sort of a, 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 you know, a note in your favor when they looked and they said, okay, you still have a stable commercial practice. We're going to feel that you're a bit of a lower risk, so we don't mind actually extending you the money. Uh, I, I think it was. I, I, I mean, I have a great credit. I have, you know, I, 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 I think they considered me a lower risk versus somebody fresh out of school who, you know, I guess a lot of them have a quarter of a million dollars in student loans. Right, and they sort of knew then that you weren't actually going to leave your commercial practice. No, I just, I just say, what, you know, am I gonna, what am I going to do for income outside my private practice? Right. So, you know, I, you know, for me, like I said, I don't, plan on leaving my corporate because it's established. I, I enjoy working there. Um, you know, the company that I work with has been very good to me. Right. And, and uh, I'd like to continue. So, so the, the, uh, the $64 million question is, how do you manage 
to have enough hours to work for corporate as well as your private practice and, and to give each a fair shake? Um, well, I do three and three. And in a corporate setting, you have contracted hours that you have to be there. And you, when I'm there, you know, I'm seeing patients and I'm making money. And in a private setting, um, it's more controlled where, you know, I do make available hours in the morning for the evening. Uh, I, I have some Saturdays available. Um, so I, 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 I've kind of looked at it where I can control the scheduling better in private versus in a corporate setting. A lot of it's very much walk-in base. So, 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 uh, so do you have any obligation to the corporation to... To, to work a, a five or six day or seven day week, you mentioned I, I, have, I have contracted hours. I have to abide by. And and it's only three days a week. Uh, no, I have somebody who works for me. Ah, so you have an associate uh, that yeah. that that's your employee. Yeah. Uh, so this is an important point. Then. Well, so, he's he's my subcontractor. He's not really right. my employee. I give him a ten ninety nine at the end of the year. Right. So this is actually a really important point. Then, if 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 and when your private practice takes off and you want to scale back at corporate, you could theoretically then continue bringing in subcontractors to make up those hours. Is that correct? That is correct. Yep. So I guess that's that's but, an important but, point. Um, you know, these subcontractors do need to be a productive part of their business. Um. Well, I mean, you need to have a financial plan. You need to see where your finances are coming from. You also need to make sure that you have a steady stream of income because, you know, the, the first years you're going to be very lean. You're going to have a lot of time in your hand, and uh, you need to make sure that you use your private schedule to your advantage where you could move things around, where but you could also do other things to make a living so um but you know the other thing is you know making sure that if you're not there you have somebody who you trust and um you know um trying to think what else i could i could say um you know I, I would talk to a lot of people in private practices and see what you know what, what they've done to be successful it's what i did is i went to a lot of private practices to to you know see what they do right and use my own experience with corporate so I you know I can I, I feel like I've intermingled the two where I think I've gotten the best of both worlds right so you had a, a really firm financial plan going in you had a marketing plan and most importantly it sounds like you had the experience of being able to actually watch practice management in action for years on end, so you really knew what to do and what not to do before you got started. Yeah, you know, I I didn't get that from school. I, I you know, the biggest advantage I had to being in corporate is I I had access to everything, and they really are the experts at that. Right. Great. All right. Well, Doctor X, thank you so much for being with us. Yes, well, it was thank a you. pleasure. I appreciate it. Bye. Yeah. Okay, so moving along from Dr. X, let's switch gears now and let me introduce someone who actually needs no introduction to ODWire members. Dr. Stephen Nelson is a frequent contributor to the site, and today he's going to come on and talk to us about moving from commercial practice to a nursing home practice. So Stephen Nelson, thanks so much for uh, joining us this morning here on ODWire Radio. Thank you. And uh, Stephen, I have to just, before we get started, I have to commend you, if nothing else, on your incredible typing skills. You must 
do at least 150 words a minute, judging from your, your time on Odie Wire. <laughs> I have, you know, I have the most horrific training in that possible. When I was in high school, my uncle owned newspapers and wanted me to go work for him. And rather than me taking typing in high school, he forced me to go to a Votech school. So it was me and a bunch of 50-year-old women learning to type. Ah, so, so there you go. And you, so, learned, yeah. you learned an incredibly useful skill. So there you go. I, I, I did. I hated it at the, at the time, and it was incredibly emasculating, but I made a lot of money typing people's papers in college. So. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, Stephen, I guess today what we're going to talk about is sort of uh, for folks who want to try to make the move away from commercial practice. We've spoken to other folks who went from commercial to academia. Uh, we spoke to a doctor who went from commercial into his own private practice. And, you know, today we're going to talk, talk about what you've done. So before we actually get into what you're doing now, let's just talk about um, where you worked before, when you worked commercial, and, and what you did since, uh, since leaving school. Okay. Since leaving school, I was in the Navy for three years uh, at a military hospital, and it was okay. Um, not exactly what I was looking for, but it was okay. I got out and I went to work at a Walmart about an hour away from my home. And, and I have to admit, it was not a great experience. I had a vision center manager that was about as annoying and stereotypical as you could get. And she, uh, came, you know, she would come over constantly, you know, bringing me her books saying, would you look at this? And I'd look at it. I got no idea what that even is. That's my comp. Uh, okay, I, you're still doing nothing for me here. And, you know, she said, well, you're fitting too many contacts, and I don't like that. And I said, oh, that's funny, because you're sitting here talking to me, and I don't like that. <laughs> and, you know, it, it sort of came to a head, and I told her, you know, you see that big glass rectangle over there? That's the door. I'm going to close my eyes now, and when I open it up, I want to see you on the other side of it. And... <laughs> You know, I very condescendingly said, okay, one, two, three, and then I closed my eyes, and, you know, fortunately, she didn't punch me. She actually left, so that, that worked out. And it, it never, I never got any pressure, per se, from anybody that mattered. You know, that was just a, you know, person trying to make her number. So, I mean, I didn't take it personally. It just, I don't do getting annoyed well. And, and so I ended up leaving that for private practice, and I didn't prepare. And, I, and like everything in my life, I learned the wrong way, and I learned essentially how to not do it. So, you know, I, I took over a practice that was really horrible, and I spent several years resurrecting it, and, and I did a good job with it. I mean, it ended up being a good, you know, it was a good practice. It was making money just I sort of resented it at that point and, and was ready to do something different. Maybe I've got gypsy blood. I don't know. But I was ready to do something different. And the opportunity to take Walmart over, uh, take another Walmart that was 10 minutes from my house came up and they dangled it in front of me. I giggled and said, I'll pass. And then they sort of sweetened the pot and said, you know, you can have all three of these, which are the only area if you want them. And it was a good opportunity, it was a change. So I took it, and I did some of the things that I wish I had done the first time when I made the move. And it was a good move. And I was there for five years, and, and to be honest, I did everything that is 
sort of wrong for what people expect out of Walmart. I charged more than the private practices. I did about 70-ish percent third-party medical. I fit ortho K. I sold specialty contact lenses. I, I kind of did, honestly, whatever I wanted. And they not only weren't mad, they were happy. I don't know if it was just fortuitous management or I, I don't know. But I left the nursing homes, not not because it was a bad gig, but just it wasn't it, it wasn't getting I wasn't getting out of it what I felt I should be getting out of it personally, and I had an insanely good offer to do something else, so so I left. Right, and so let's talk and a little I, bit about that insanely good offer. So you know, if if you follow along on Wire, you know we know that uh, you decided to move on into nursing homes. So can you tell us sort of how you made that jump and and how it's going? Sure. I, uh, because I was kind of bored doing the day-to-day grind, I started seeing some nursing homes on the side, got a few contracts and, you know, did the math and decided that the $50,000 worth of equipment that I really didn't want to buy would probably pay itself off pretty quickly and I'd be servicing a very needy population and kind of a personal story. My grandmother was in a nursing home and she went blind from glaucoma because no one was there to care for her. So I, I thought, you know what, I'm kind of feeling the tug, so I'll do it every once in a while. So I got a few contracts, started doing it one day a week. Um, there, was a, there was kind of a need for it in the area, so that quickly turned into two days a week. And I got a call from a doctor who was retiring, and he said, you know, hey, do you want some of these homes? I said, eh, you know, really, I can't. Uh, if, I, if I get many more, I'm going to have to either hire a doctor, which I don't want to do because I hated that, you know, managing doctors is not fun in any capacity, particularly if you're not there to watch over them. And uh, he said, well, how many would you need to leave your practice? And I said, and I'd never even thought about it, so I just made, threw out a number. I said, I don't know, 50, which seemed insanely high and, you know, a number that would make him say, man, nah, well, you know, good luck. But he said, no problem, I got 160 homes. How many of them do you really want? So, so basically I sat down with a, calculator and a map and said, you know, I don't want to fly because I don't, I do not like planes. Ironic that I married a flight attendant. I don't like planes. Um, but I, but I don't want to fly. I don't want to spend my life in airports. If I can't drive to it, I don't want it. So I basically drew a circle around the Corpus Christi and, and said anything within three hours of this. And it ended up encompassing about, eh, about 55 homes. And I had about 15 on my own. So I ended up with about 70 contracts in the area, and I see, I don't know, I see a lot of patients. I see about 4,000 patients a year, give or take, 4,000, 4,500. Kind of depends on the attrition rate. And, that, and that's what I do. You know, I travel to the homes. I set up a little office inside the homes, and I see about 25 to 30 patients a day, three days a week. I spend one day doing admin. And, uh, you know, take a lot of time off. Right. So I guess my big so question is, yeah, so before you actually made that leap or while you were in the process, what actually happened to your Walmart leases? Did you actually keep them in the beginning just to sort of have a fallback position or did you did you let them go? No, I, I, I let them go. I, my situation was that in my office I was really happy, but having multiple leases, you know, I know there's a lot of, you know, sort of smack talk on OD wire about slum lords and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you get this impression that the, the leaseholding doctors are these guys that sit around 
wringing their handlebar mustache, laughing over the <laughs> bank they're rolling in. But the reality is it kind of sucks. It really does. I mean, having, having doctors that you're not overseeing, you know, seeing your patients and screwing up your billing and, you know, particularly because we're optometrists, we're not overly trained in proper coding. You know, I'd, uh, half of the code, you know, half of the claims that would come back, I'd look at the EOB and say, I got, pay, I didn't get paid on this. Why is it? Well, you dummy, you can't file three six seven point. Well, you can't find you file myopia on a level four medical visit. You can't. No, and you couldn't last week when we talked about this, or the week before, or last month. So that you know, there was this constant battle of trying desperately to get them to pay for themselves, and you know, I I broke even. I didn't really lose money on them, but it was just. It, it was something that was a lot of work for no additional pay. Right. So I ended up cutting the cutting one of them loose because it was a 40 minutes away and I just didn't want to screw with it. So I gave I gave it. That's how, that's how much I didn't like it. I gave it to the doctor that was working for me. One because I didn't want to deal with you know you fired me, and you know another I just wanted him to have some ownership because you know he was a good guy. So. I gave him that office, and then I had another office that was about 15 minutes away, and I gave it to the doctor that was there. Ironically, my income went up $14,000 the next year as a result of getting rid of those two offices. Hmm. So, you know, there goes me wringing my mustache. <laughs> but I kept, I kept the one, and, I, you know, like I said, I did the nursing homes part-time for a year, maybe, close to a year before I left. And, you know, I noticed that on those two days, I made more in those two days with considerably less headache than all of the other week combined. Hmm. You know, and my, you know, my, the thing I do at least reasonably well is medical visits. And, and I like the coding and, and all of that. I mean, it's sort of like a puzzle and I enjoy that. And I got to do that on every single patient. And, there, you know, there were a lot of benefits. I never, ever, ever have a nursing home patient say, well, I want to put this on my spectra. You know, I, I, that, that conversation, you know, as much as I joke about it, it's annoying. So, you know, I never, I never had to have that conversation again. I never had to worry about insurances that weren't active because if they're in a home, their insurance is active. Right. So, you know, it just, it cut out a lot of headaches. And, you know, for example, if I want to work two weeks straight, then I work two weeks and take the next three weeks off, eh, I just do it. And if I don't want to work in June, eh, I just don't schedule anybody. Right. So, you know, it, it gave me a lot of flexibility and freedom that I didn't have while tethered to the corporate office. Right. And, so, so, so and, and there, were some, there were some other issues as well. And, you know, and I'm going to try to be objective. I, I sort of get characterized as the cheerleader and I don't see anything wrong with this or I'm a booster for that. But, you know, there were a lot of things I didn't like. You know, the optical staff at Walmart wasn't, you know, they weren't up to my standards and there wasn't a damn thing I could do about that. And I had a lot of patients that I would come back and do glasses checks on and mm -hmm. I'd find that, you know, it's because one of their progressives is cocked 45 degrees or, you know, their bifocal was at the top of the lens or, right. you know, they stuck them in some crappy material, even though I said don't, um, you know, just a, a lot of stuff that, you know, and like the vision center manager, she was actually the tire and lube manager two weeks before she became the optical manager. <laughs> and, you know, uh, the, the DM and I actually, we got into kind of a shouting match about that because, you know, I have no inner monologue. And when I get in a fight, I guess it's go time. And, and I just told him, I said, you know, you are wrecking 
everything that I try to do here. You know, I, and, and I would take, I would take the staff and try to teach them some rudimentary optics and that kind of thing, because the reality is it is kind of a partnership to a degree. And if, you know, I do a bad job, I affect them. But the flip side is true. If they do a bad job, it affects me. Right. And it makes me look bad. And I don't do well with looking bad because of somebody else. I can handle looking bad all by myself. So, you know, there were just things that were irritating about it. Not, not necessarily deal killers in and of themselves, but I had another better situation that eliminated all of it. Right. So, so it sounds to me like that to you, you know, financially, obviously your new position is working well, but it sounds like the control aspect is really, you know, what, what you like the most. You know, I had a conversation with a corporate doctor about this very thing about what am I going to say about control? I never felt control issues. I never felt like I was being controlled. I felt like I was pressured to help them with things that weren't my responsibility. Eh, maybe mm. is a good way to put that. And I felt like there were, although I wasn't controlled, there were a lot of aspects that I couldn't control that I wanted to. Right. You know, the, the quality of the optical goods, obviously I have no control over that. The quality of the people fitting them, I have no control over that. So for me, it was never a, an issue of me being controlled as much as I just didn't have control over the things that affected people's perception of the quality of my work. Right. Ooh, there and, you go. You can use that one. <laughs> and, and I guess if you had, if you, you know, we have about 16,000 folks now on ODYR, and a lot of them are students and, and young people. If you had to give them a piece of advice on preparation, so let's say that they just got out of school, they're doing a commercial gig, you know, they've been there mm -hmm. for a year. If they wanted to move, if you had to give someone a piece of advice on how to prepare to make that kind of move, what would you say? You know, this is a delicious piece of irony because the thing that makes a successful corporate exit is the exact same thing that will make you successful at staying. Treat it like it's your business. Treat it like Walmart or iMart or whoever is just a building. Get your own phone number. Make it yours. Hire your own staff. Train them your way. Keep your own records. Keep your own books. Buy, you know, you have steady revenue coming in. So buy your own equipment to replace theirs. For one, yours will be better than theirs because they just have kind of entry-level stuff. It's not bad, but... You know, it's certainly not what you'd go to the optical store and go, wow, I want that. So replace it while the money is flowing because what will end up happening is one of a couple of things. Either you'll stay and then everything will be running smoothly or you'll move. And, and what ends up happening, you know, from, and I, you know, I come across a lot of corporate doctors and, and I'm sort of infamous. So, you know, they'll either come up and say, you know, say, wow, you're really cool. Or, you know, let's go outside because we got business. So, um, you know, the big thing is with the corporate doctors that leave, most of the time it's because they outgrow it. It's not because they're booted out, but they outgrow it and they outgrow it because they do all those things, you know, and they realize you know, at some point down the road, it is just a building and I can have my building somewhere else. So, so my advice is, you know, prepare for your exit the day you get there. I'm a big fan on exit strategies. I don't care if you're in private practice or whatever, you know, you need that, you know, what if optometry goes belly up or what if I decide I want to teach? 
you know, we network, we meet people and those kinds of things, so we have an exit strategy. Corporate is no different. Plan it day one. So get your equipment while you can afford it. So that when you leave, the only thing you need to buy is, you know, rent is a moving truck. You don't have to go into an overhead heavy situation because you own your equipment, you already have staff, they're already trained, you already have a patient base, you have all their records, you prepare by sending out letters saying, hey, you know, and make it a positive thing. Don't, don't try to crap on whoever you're leaving. You know, say, hey, we want to do more stuff for you, we want to do better stuff for you, so we're moving to our new location. Take advantage of Facebook, take advantage of Twitter, take advantage of you know, letters, you know, if you send out invoices, send it with the invoice, you know, prepare your patients for your exit. You know, you need to spend about six months, in a perfect world, six months preparing your patients for your exit and preparing your staff for your exit. But the key is they need to be your staff and right. it needs to be your phone and it needs to be your stuff. Right. So, you know, because most, most new practices go under because of a lack of cash flow. Right. If you don't have bills, cash flow isn't a big deal. Right. And so I guess the big question so, is, you know, striking such an independent pose, did it, do you ever get any friction maybe from the, from the Walmarts or the, you know, any commercial place if they see that their doc is acting, you know, in a somewhat independent fashion like that? Was there ever, ever any problem with that? No, never. Um, to be honest, I, I never saw anybody beyond the store manager more than a couple of times a year. One time the regional guy came and asked me if I'd give some lectures, you know, but I mean, I, I just didn't, you know, and I'm, and I'm 10 minutes from Corpus, so it's not like I'm in podunk nowhere. Right. You know, Corpus is half a million people. It's not like a little town, but I mean, you know, I never really, I never really felt, I never really felt pressured. You know, I, I didn't go into it. You know, I, I think the thing is I never went into it giving them the impression that I was going to leave. So they, you know, so they sort of respected that and, you know, if they had any questions, they, they would ask me and I, I wasn't trying to be evasive with them. If they said, Hey, why are you getting that? Uh, because it'll make me money, sure. you know, because I like making retinal pictures. I don't know. Why, why do you ask? <laughs> you know, I don't know. Why do I want to get a new Ferrocter? I don't know. Don't like yours. Right. You know, I mean, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a big deal, but you know, I never, it, it's not like they were sitting going Hey, that Nelson guy looks like he's leaving. We need to, you know, we need to do something. Eh, it was just not like that. I, I don't, to be fair, and Walmart especially, you know, the optical part merged with pharmacy, and they don't even know that the optical department exists for the most part anymore. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 I would go so far as to say neglected. Hmm. So, you know, they just, they don't even know you exist for the most part. Right. I mean, I'm sure, you know, and Ken Elder always makes this, this not to call somebody out, but, you know, he always makes this point that, yeah, you're left alone if the optical's doing well. Yeah, it's probably true. You know, I mean, my opticals did real well, but, you know, that I don't ever foresee a scenario where you could have a really successful office and the optical not do well. You know, I mean, it's like a private practice. If you're seeing 25 patients a day, your optical's going to be healthy no matter what kind of patients you're seeing. Right. So... You know, the only difference is you're not making any money on the glasses in a corporate situation. So, you know, if your business is terrible, they probably will make some suggestions. But to be fair, if your business is terrible, you probably need somebody to make some suggestions. Sure. So, so I guess then the, but the, I mean, I mean, the takeaway that I'm getting from all this is that use your commercial time, treat it like your own private practice and use it to learn. Learn as much as you can and run, it, and run it like a private practice. 
And if it's good, you'll probably be successful once you branch out. Yeah, and, and I think that's true. I, I always, I always, and to this day, still feel this way. Corporate optometry is an okay place to stay. You know, if that's where you land. I mean, I know plenty of corporate ODs that, you know, they, they work easy hours, and they make 250 a year, and they have no headaches. And, I mean, to be honest, that's, that's pretty damn good living, especially for an optometrist. Sure. You, know, you know, 250 is not the typical income. But if nothing else, it's a great primer. Because sure. you, can, you can make your mistakes in a way that won't financially devastate you. Right. You know, because if you have a corporate practice go under, I mean, really, what have you lost? Honestly, your job. But, you know, if you go out and borrow a half a million dollars and mess that up, there's a little bit deeper ramification, and that can follow you around for a decade. Yep. You know, so, I mean, I, you know, everybody says, oh, these new grads are going to go into corporate. You know, I don't, I don't mind that. You know, I really don't mind that. What I mind is if they get cast to the wolves and we don't mentor them on how to get out of it. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, it seems, it seems to me, come, yeah, coming out of school, you know, it seems almost impossible to me that someone would want to take a quarter million or half million dollar loan when you have no real experience in actually running practice. It seems well, to me, private practice, private practice doesn't make that easier either because, you know, you you can start off in a corporate gig and make six figures, and when you're two hundred thousand dollars in debt, you just have certain metrics that have to be met. Right. You know, there are just certain bars that you have to meet. And a private practitioner that wants to start you on a 70 base, I mean, you know, that's $30,000 difference. I mean, you can pay off your student loans in, you know, six or seven years on just the difference. Right. So, yeah, that, that actually, I mean, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And actually, that's going to be a, a subject of another upcoming show. <laughs> um, because yeah, it, well, is, there you go. it is a huge concern. Absolutely. All right. Well, Stephen, I think we have taken all of our time. It's been over 20 minutes. So thanks so much. Do you have any sort of parting words of advice for the crowd? No, not really. Just, <laughs> you know, on this subject, like I said, just treat it like your own and step in, step right. into day one with an exit strategy. You know, don't, right. you know, the people that get in trouble are the ones that don't prepare. Right. And, and I think that's the takeaway that we've gotten from all of these interviews that we've done over the past two days is that preparation is absolutely key. And if you don't prepare, you should, you know, expect disaster because it will happen. So our thanks again to Stephen, to Dr. X and to you for listening to the show. The conversation will continue online and I hope to see you on odywire.org. 